0: I love the church, right? Now, it's not because I'm the pastor, and it's not even because you took up an offering and we're going to to, um, uh, Israel in a couple of weeks. I love the church because this is God's organization, God's plan, what God does, and how God helps people's lives. There's a lot of other organizations in the world that are helpful, even Christian organizations. But there's nothing like the church, right? The church is different, it's got a power that you won't find anywhere else. And it's the one enduring thing. It's going to endure until Jesus comes back. Churches may come and go, but the church is going to endure till Jesus comes back. And I want us to look this morning, just briefly, because we've got baptisms. I want us to look this morning, just briefly, uh, why we should join the church. Why it's important that we join the church and become part of the church. In Acts 2, verse 41, You have here, uh, the the day of Pentecost has just happened. Uh, The gospel has just gone forth with a mighty surge. When Jesus died, there was about 500 believers, they reckon. There were 12 uh, that were trained. One, of course, uh, by now has committed suicide. And um, there's those 12. And there's about 500 in total. And what happens on the day of Pentecost is just amazing. The spirit of God falls. They speak the word in tongues so that uh, they're speaking in their language, but everybody else is hearing in their own language. People from all over the world are hearing in their own language. And people get saved. 3,000 people were saved in that day. And then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So the church in Jerusalem went from 500 people to 3,500 in an afternoon. I like that, don't you? By the way, I think God can do that again. God has done that throughout history. Revival has been uh, the the lifeblood of the church, and there's been those times when God has just moved, and you know, sometimes it's recognized, and people write books about it, and sometimes it's not recognized because it's just kind of a a broad thing, but God is moving, God is saving souls and doing things, and all that God would do that in our day and age too, that God would bring, a revival in our day, that we would see thousands of people getting saved. That would be a great thing for us to see. But um, we should pray for that. We should look to the Lord for that. But do you know what is going to affect revival and what's going to be affected by revival more than anything else? The church. Now, you and I look at ourselves and we think, hang on, we're not much. And we're not. But there's something special about this thing called the church something powerful the other 12 uh, disciples the 11 by then were nothing much Peter had just blown it royally he had just he denied his Lord and he, he, as far as he was concerned he was done for uh, and you know Peter gets the name of having deserted the Lord but they all did they all walked away They weren't much. But here we have the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved with Peter's preaching. You and I are not much. But you know what? As church, there's a power that's way beyond what we can understand. That's a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us this morning as we look to you now, Lord. Help us. Uh, to glean from your word truth that's going to help us and sustain us and strengthen us. And Lord, may your hand rest upon us. And may we go away today, Lord, rejoicing in the fact that you've called us to be church. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, first point is this, right? Uh, why join the church? Because it's his church. Matthew 16, verse 18, uh, Jesus said, and You'll remember the story. Peter, uh, he's, he's discussing with the disciples and with Peter, um, and uh, whom do people say that I am? And they say, well, Some say this and some say that. And, and then he says, but, but whom do you say that I am? And I imagine P- Peter taking a deep breath and saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, well done, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Nobody told you that, Peter. My Father, which is in heaven. uh, He's the one that revealed that to you. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, and I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, folks, Peter was not a rock. He was a small stone, just like us. It wasn't a rock. the, the, The church is not built on Peter. The church is built on the confession that Peter's just made. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what the church is built on. But I want you to notice some other things about it. He says, I will build my church. Do you know that Jesus owned next to nothing? Now, if he was interested in money... He could have been the wealthiest man the world had ever seen. This is tax season for self-employed people, and everybody's getting their bills from their accountants, and the accountants are telling them what they need to pay. And, um, you know, people dread this moment when they find out exactly what it is that they've got to pay. But Jesus had a neat way for paying taxes. You know what he said to Peter? He said, Peter, listen, go catch a fish. And when you catch the fish, there'll be a coin in his mouth and take the coin out of his mouth and go pay our taxes with it. I'm telling you, if we could have Jesus stand at the gate there and do that, we could have a queue all the way down the road uh, at this time of the year. Uh, money was nothing to Jesus. Jesus turned the, uh, <clears throat> took uh, five loaves and two fishes and turned them into enough pe- food to feed 5,000 people. He could have just as easily turned it into gold or diamonds or anything else he wanted to do. If he had wanted money, he could have been the wealthiest man on the planet. He wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in possessions. He didn't own a house. He didn't own a chariot. He didn't even own a donkey. He had to go borrow one to go into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <laughs> In fact, when he, when, they, when he went to the cross, uh, they took his robe, and he had been given a robe that was, <clears throat> that was a, a, a nice robe, but was all one piece, which meant it was pretty special in those days. Uh, that's, that's all he owned. They owned nothing. Jesus used the personal pronoun, my, very sparingly. But he used it about the church. He said, I will build... My church. He used it about the church. The church was important. The church would change the world. And it did. And it has. And it is changing the world. Church is a powerful organization. What we tend to do is we tend to look at ourselves and think, yeah, we're not so great now we're not. That, that's a, that's a, you know, a good, good thing to come to the place of understanding we're not so great. But you know what? The church is great. And it does great things. And we get to be part of this church that God is doing great things through. Church has changed the world and is changing the world. He says in this verse, too, that the church would conquer hell and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's he saying there? He's saying that the church as an army is going to march into hell and take people out of it. You say, how does that happen? Well, when you got saved, that's exactly what happened. The church marched into hell and pulled you out of it because you're a child of hell when you got saved. If you're not saved, understand that. As hard as it is for you to to take on board, before you're saved, you may have been a child of God because he created you, but spiritually speaking, you were a child of Satan. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, ye are of your father the devil. And he's he's pointing out to them that, no, they weren't children of God like they thought they were. And that's why you need a new birth. The new birth brings somebody uh, into salvation. The new birth brings somebody to be saved. And every time somebody gets saved, you know what happens? Jesus reaches in to the authority and the power of hell and he pulls somebody out of it. And that's exactly what happened when you got saved. And he says, the church, uh, that hell would not prevail against the church, that the church would win. Sometimes we look at the church and, and you know, it looks like a plan failed. And you'll hear people saying that, yeah, well, the church supposed to do this, the church supposed to do that, and, and the church hasn't done it, and therefore the, the plan is failing. Now, let's think for a second. Does God's plans ever fail? Do you know, in Revelation 7 uh, and verse 9, it says this. It says that a great multitude, right, from every nation under heaven is going to be dressed in white and worshiping the king in heaven. A great multitude, too many to, to, to count. Do you know, the church is not going to fail. You know, the church is going to continue, and the church is going to continue till Jesus comes, and it's going to continue to see people saved. It's going to continue to see God do a work in hearts and lives until that day. It's a great organization, it's a great institution, it's a wonderful thing. Now, it's not because of you, and certainly not because of me, but it's because he said it's my church. Notice what else he said. He said, I will build my church. When, when I got saved and got the ministry first, I thought I had to build the church. I'm glad I got over that idea because if, I got, if, I'd, if I'd held on to that idea, I would have died in it. I can't build the church. He builds the church. He's doing the work. You know what I'm responsible for doing? I'm responsible for doing what he wants me to do. Do you know what you're responsible for doing? You're responsible for doing what he wants you to do. When you and I do what he wants us to do, what he tells us to do. Miracles happen. Wonderful things happen. If we can go back over the history of the church, we would see times of great blessing. You know, any great thing that happens in the church is because I will build my church. Because he's doing it. He's at work. He's here. And he's working and he's doing exciting things. And it's a dangerous thing for us to come to the place where we think, first of all, we're responsible for it. And second of all, that we are actually making something happen because we're not. And there's going to be that day in glory when we're going to stand with that great multitude of people from all nations and we're going to worship him dressed in white robes and we're going to be amazed at what he's done in building his church. His church is the most exciting organization that the world will ever see, bar none. Because it's his church. You should join it. It's his church. Secondly, <clears throat> because it's the pillar and ground of the truth. First Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, what does that mean? That means that this is where truth is. First of all, it's not the pillar and ground of a truth. There's not what people want to think. Well, you've got your way, we've got our way, and everybody's the same in the end. We've all got our own way. Now, Jesus didn't leave that option open to us at all. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth. There's only one truth, spiritually speaking. And I realize there's a lot of people out there, and the day and age that we live in, we, everybody wants to think, well, you know, don't be so dogmatic about it. You know, other people see it differently. Just, you know, it's fine. But there's a lot of things we have freedom to see differently. But there's truth. <laughs> there's the truth, and it's absolute what do I mean when I say it's absolute? It's not negotiable. It's not your truth, my truth, or anybody else's truth. It's the truth. And <clears throat> sooner or later, you and I have to kind of wrestle with that and grapple with that thought and come to the place where we're, where we're looking at the truth and saying it's, it's absolute. Do you realize that we live in a, uh, in a day when everything is relative? <laughs> <Right? clears throat> what that means is, well, that's what you believe, and that's what I believe, and that's what he believes and what she believes, and you know what? Whatever works for you is fine. That's the age we live in, isn't it? And an age of tolerance. We want to tolerate everybody everybody else's truth. Now, tolerance is not a bad word in and by itself. But you know what? When it comes to this area of truth, and you begin to question truth, and you begin to look at truth, and begin to think, well, you know what? Other people see it differently, so maybe? No, there is... The truth. Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. And he came into this world to die upon a cross and to pay the price for sin. And there's no other way anybody is ever going to heaven. And that's as dogmatic as it gets, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And you and I... live in a day, an age when everything is relative. There's a seven-year-old in Texas right now, and um, they're having a big <clears throat> legal battle because uh, he's a boy, but he wants to be a girl. And um, <clears throat> they're having this big legal battle because his parents want him to have the surgery and all the rest of it and uh, for him to become a girl. Right? <clears throat> I don't know if you can remember when you were seven, year, seven years old. It's probably a long time for most of you. Uh, but seven years old uh, is a great age to be. But you need to be well-watched when you're seven years old. You need someone to take care of you and look after you when you're seven years old. I mean, I have a grandson. He's a little bit more than seven, but you know, I wouldn't give him a hundred euros and trust him to go shopping by himself. I definitely wouldn't trust him uh, to drive a car. I wouldn't even trust him to lock up the house. He's a great kid. He's an intelligent kid. But you know what? He's only a kid. And you know, in our crazy world, What's happened is there is no truth. So if you think you're a girl, then maybe you are a girl. And I mean that's that's kind of <clears throat> uh, as crazy as it gets to be in our system. But do you realize that there there is a truth? There is an absolute truth. It may be failing the world out there, but you and I have to understand there there is absolute truth. Let me say this: truth is inconvenient. <clears throat> Truth is not going to be easy for you all the time. In other words, you're going to have to sometimes say, No, I don't believe that. That's not true. And you're going to get maybe in a pile of trouble for it. But who's going to help you? The church. Because the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's what helps you. And when you and I don't stand on truth, when we don't hold on to truth, when we don't remember truth and keep it in our hearts, we get swept away. Recently, there's been several big-name Christian leaders that have renounced their faith completely. And at first, we're all discouraging at first when you think about it. I mean, these are big names. These are people that pastored big churches and so on. But you know what happened for them? They, they had the truth. And they had the world. And they tried too hard to reconcile the two. And there comes a point where you can't reconcile truth in the world. There comes a point where you have to say, no, I'm going to go with the truth. And that means, of necessity, you're going to reject the world. You, you have to do that at a certain point. There's, there's, there's no way around it. Everything's not an issue like that, but there are issues that are certain issues that <clears throat> you have got to come to the place where you recognize, no, 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 I'm going with the truth. And it's going to make you odd. It's going to be inconvenient for you. But you know what it's going to do for you? It's going to keep you sane in a crazy world. Because you try too hard to reconcile the world and the truth. And what's going to happen is you're going to flip out. It's too, it's too hard. It's impossible. So what you got to do is you got to say, now I'm going to stand on the truth. Because there is the truth. It's absolute. And the church's job is to help you to stand on truth. Because you're being bombarded day and night by a world that doesn't believe truth. That has no truth. That's making it up as it goes along. And the church's job is to help you stand on truth. It's the pillar and ground. Of the truth. Number three, because it's the place where you get nourished. Now, I realize, by the way, I think we live in a wonderful day. There's all kinds of podcasts and all kinds of stuff you can listen to out there that is so helpful to you um, and that, 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 that can help you uh, learn. But you know what? They're not the same as the church. It's not the same as coming to... Now, why is that? Why is it not the same as the church listening to podcasts? I mean, uh, <clears throat> you, know, you, you can go out and listen to, listen to a podcast and get involved in, and, um, you know, listen to it and put it on board. And you know what happens? All the podcasts become podcasts. And you lose sight of the reality of what they are. But, but you know what happens in the church? In the church, <clears throat> you get nourished in a community. And that's real important to us. We don't live on our own, and we certainly don't do truth all by ourselves. The Bible talks about the church in Hebrews chapter 10, and it says, "...not forsaking the assembling of, the, of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and encouraging one another, and so much the more as the day approaches." this is community it's a community of truth it's a community that's supposed to have its roots and its bases in truth it's not a spectator sport where you come and you watch somebody else do truth and you you, kind of weigh it up and see whether you like it or not you can go to a lecture and do that but what happens is you do truth together we encourage each other we exhort one another you start slipping away and I hope you have a good friend that's going to say to you, um, something happened here. I hope you have somebody that's going to confront you and say to you, oh, "That that's, that's not the way you should be doing it. Because you do truth in community. It's not something you do on your own. And the church is a community <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and we're supposed to come and be fed and we're supposed to come and encourage other, but uh, it's something that you do In community, we get nourished. Then, I love the church, and I think you should join the church too because of its power to change lives, right? The Apostle Paul's writing, he said, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And you're going to say, well, listen, the Apostle Paul, he got saved all by his lonesome lonesome on the Damascus Road. Uh, Jesus spoke to him and saved him. But where did Jesus save, send him immediately? He sent him to the church, didn't he? He has to go find Barnabas. And Barnabas started training him. And Barnabas introduced him to other people. And he became part of uh, the community. And, you know, yes, Paul's life was changed by Jesus. And your life was changed by Jesus. But do you know that church was a part of it? You think about it may not have been this church, it may have been some other church, but the change in your life had a huge part played in it by a church, by people who got involved in your life and helped you change. It doesn't happen just by yourself. The church changes lives. We could give testimonies this morning and we could, we, we could tell how, yeah, well, I came to church and, and I heard the truth and somebody w- went through the gospel with me and I, and I got saved and my life was changed. mightn't have changed immediately. It might have taken time to change. But you know what? Your life was changed. The church changes lives. It's a miracle place. Miracles happen in the church. Every time somebody gets saved, that's a miracle. And <clears throat> the, the church has power to change lives. That's kind of the purpose of it. We'll look at that in a second. Also of the church because of her people, right? Now, uh, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, here's what you're going to find in your life. And uh, it's kind of amazing. You are raised in a family. You were raised in a community. You were part of that family and part of that community. And then you get saved. And all of a sudden, you have a new family. It's not that you lose the old family. It's not that you don't have anything in common with them. It's not that you don't spend time with them. But you're different. And they're different. And everything has changed. And this people... This, Church becomes your, your brothers and your sisters, and you become part of something. And, and we have fellowship uh, one with another. right? You know, and we need people. We need people. We need people to encourage us. We need people to challenge us. Folks, we even need people to annoy us from time to time. <clears throat> And I tell you what, you're going to find people in the church that that, that will annoy you, that will create problems for you. And you know what? You need them. Because you and I need trouble. But you know what? You, You hang around the church long enough and you stay involved in the church long enough. And what happens is you get over your annoyance with people and you grow deep bonds with people. And the church is a great place. and it's not because we're great people. But we're children of the living God. And we're moving and growing and moving forward. And look, I understand. You know, there are people that just cut across your grain and irritate you uh, in the church. I understand that. But you ever think about this? Maybe God has that person in your life just to do a work he wants to do in your life. And here's what you'll notice. You'll notice you get fed up, and you walk away, and you go somewhere else, and you meet the same person, in different clothes, with different hair, but it's the same personality that uh, grates on your nerves and makes it difficult for you. Yeah, that's that's the way it is, because that's what God does. With the church, he uses the people in the church to help you, to bless you, to encourage you, uh, to, to bother you, to, to, to grow you. Also, you need to join the church because of our purpose. <clears throat> Jesus gave the church his purpose in, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's all power, all authority. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's the gospel. Baptizing them. That's what we're going to do now. They're going to baptize uh, four people. Why? Because that's the command of Jesus. He says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Ghost. It's not a sacrament that gives them anything special. It's a step of obedience. It's not something that saves them. It's the the next step after they're saved. But it's important because Jesus told us to do it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He says he's going to be with us to do this. Jesus said he's going to be with us. He's going to, <clears throat> he's going to be a part of this. He's going to be involved in this. Now, <clears throat> I've heard people look at this and preach doom and gloom and, you know, and, and tell people you're not doing enough. You're not doing what you should be doing. And, so on. and I suppose it's always possible to do more. You know what inherent in the the doom and gloom stuff about the Great Commission is this? That we have to do it. And we're not doing what we should do, and it's failing. The Great Commission is not failing. The Great Commission is happening all around us. People are getting saved all the time. All around us. We need to understand that. You know, when LifeGate was started 38 years ago, the message of the gospel in Dublin was a totally foreign thing. I mean, I fear for pastors, and and the for the people that were there uh, at the beginning. It was a totally foreign thing. Uh, it, was, it, was, <clears throat> it, it was a cult. It was terrible things because the message of the gospel was something you just didn't hear. Do you know, if you went through Tala today, you'd find probably about 10 different places where the gospel is being preached today. And people are getting saved. And, and you hear incredible stories about what God is doing. You can go around this country and every little town and village has a group of Christians somewhere. They might not be like us. They might not dot their I's <clears throat> and cross their T's the way we do. But you know what? The gospel's going forward. Do you know the Great Commission is being accomplished? The Great Commission is happening. Why? Because it's Jesus Church. And LifeGate's got a part of it. Lifegate's playing a part in it, and we get to be involved in what God is doing through this church here. It's exciting. It's wonderful to be involved in this. Now, let me ask you some questions. Could you be a sailor who never goes to sea? Nah, not hardly. Could you? Sailors have to go to sea. Could you be a pilot that never flies a plane? Well, you might have the title, but you know what? That's not the kind of person I want to fly across the Atlantic with. <laughs> could you be a soldier that never joins an army? Can you be a Christian and never join the church? I suppose technically you could be saved and going to heaven. But you know the reality is? Christians Are saved and baptized and added into the church and they become part of it and they grow and they flourish And God does exciting things and We get to be a part of what God is doing We're not doing it his church He's building his church, and he's doing a fine job Let's stand for prayer Father in heaven, would you bless us now this morning? May the word find a mark in our hearts. And Lord, would you uh, just bless us and make it real uh, that we might live before you and enjoy the rich privilege of being yours and of being part of your church and being involved in it. And Lord, to you be the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen.